0: back to this week's edition of the rock and roll ghost podcast this week we have a famed music critic and uh, editorial uh, director of the coda collection which is a streaming music video film uh, collection it's available wherever you download it's actually a mobile app is out today Um, if you have amazon prime you can get it for 4.99 a month right now with a free seven-day trial. Um, welcome, Greg Cott. How are you today? Good, Brett. Good to be here. Glad to glad to have you. All right, well, let's talk a little bit about the CODA collection. I mean, for 40 years, pretty much on the nose, you were at the Chicago Tribune. Uh, 30 of those were as the music critic. Uh, as, every, as people might know, the Chicago Tribune has bought out a lot of people uh to you know basically purge staff over the last several years and you were one of those people um did you know where you were headed after leaving the tribune
1: um i i was looking not to do anything beyond what i was already doing i i i'd run two companies um sound opinions uh the radio show and then i have a basketball program uh, travel basketball program has been around for 20 years called over the edge and um, we uh, you know we coach about 500 kids a year in Chicago area so I was pr- plenty busy I wasn't looking for anything new CODA collection um, approached me about a few weeks after I I took the buyout from the trip and uh, and presented this idea for this multi multimedia music platform that they were starting and they wanted me to, to be in charge of the website the the writing and the editing um everything they told me i i I was not eager to 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 start something new at that point that would be the third startup that i would be involved in um but i uh i was happy to to do it everything they said sounded fantastic to me like this is exactly the kind of job i would design for myself if i had to and um I'm, i'm happy to be part of it um you know as i said we were one of the first hires there is a manager of the, of the company, and I'm happy to have built it. And, you know, we've, we're, we're making some good progress in terms of the kind of movies we're able to stream. And I've got some world-class writers uh, who are working for the website. Um, so it's kind of a, I don't think there's anything quite like it anywhere. Uh, the context we're able to provide our, our streaming content is pretty... Uh, it's second to none in in the music world. And I think that's the void that we're filling. So for me, it was an opportunity to do something that hadn't been done before and to do it well and to be able to hire people that I really love to to write and to do some long form writing myself. So all of that has um, more than justified my idea of thinking this might be a good thing to try, um, you know, a couple of years ago.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. And then you've been, uh, do, doing Sound Opinions with Jim DeRogatis, who used to be with the Chicago Sun-Times and Rolling Stone and some other places uh, since 1998. And you guys have since moved from XRT to WBZ to now being an independently uh, offered show. Um, how, how, how does it still work with you and, and Jim? You know how, You guys obviously still get along, and the show is clicking still, um, you know, tell me a little bit about, I guess, about the progression from when it started to where it is now.
1: Um, you know, I, I think we we didn't really know what we were doing. I mean, we're two music writers, uh, longtime critics who are, you know, took a took a flyer and said, let's do a radio show together, modeled after a couple of our heroes, Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert, uh Jim obviously worked at sometimes with Ebert, me at the Trib with Siskel. We love the fact that two, art, uh, two movie critics could, could, uh, could pull off a show talking about movies, something that they both love and that a lot of people love for, for half an hour. And we thought we could do the same thing about music because every time we're out, out and about, we're talking about music with somebody, getting into some argument about stuff that we love, stuff that we don't love. Uh, Let's do a radio show built around that concept, and um, lo and behold, here we are. Still don't know, really know what we're doing, and we're we're (laughs) still, we're still doing it. So, been uh, it's been a you know a a journey to say the least. Starting out uh, on a commercial radio station in January of '99, and then uh, being high, you know, being wooed away by uh, public radio uh, in 2005, and then going independent uh, two years ago. I wish we'd done it sooner. Actually, I think we're we're thriving more than ever. We, we uh, taped the show uh, in Jim's uh, living room with uh, <laughs> nice, really nice microphones and <clears> that a team of a small team of really great producers. Um, you know, Andrew Gill who has been with us for a very long time, Alec, Alex Claiborne, uh, Sol Delgadillo and, uh, who we hired as an intern a few years ago, now an assistant producer. My daughter Katie is doing our social media So it's, um, what can I say, I'm working with a bunch of people I really enjoy working with, and um, we're able to do a show that we love to do, and like I said, it's not because of our incredible professionalism, it's more about, I think, our enthusiasm (laughs) for the subject and the fact that we just enjoy uh, talking about it, and fortunately, some other people do too, so that's that's kept us afloat.
0: Yeah, I mean, the show, you guys still get really you know, uh, still do a lot of excellent shows. And, and the, the guests you've had over the years have just been uh, sometimes just mind-blowing. I mean, some of the people you get and then, you know, for performances and, and the like. Um, I, I, one question I, I think about a lot is, um, you know, as you're just a little bit older than I am, I believe, how do you stay current with new music?
1: You know, to me, it's a, it's a matter of curiosity. If you have to try to keep up, you know, and it's a chore, then you're not going to. Um, if you're not interested in it, I'm, you know, I, I, I guess being a journalist, you're, you're naturally curious about a lot of things about the world around you. And one of the things that I always always excited, always um, excited about my job, made me excited about my job was that I would get up in the morning knowing that I was going to learn something new today. I, I was going to be, you know, blown away by something that I had not be, been expected to, you know existed until that day. Because uh, music is always changing, always evolving. There's always something great coming down the road. I, I never get stuck in the past in terms of, oh yeah, there's, I've got records that I love that were made 50 years ago, but I've also got records that I love that are made this week. And, uh, you know, people say, what's, what's the greatest record you're, you, you've ever heard? And I say, well, I, I'm hoping it's the one I hear next week. Um, And I I never, I I have not lost that excitement of hearing something new and something great. And the other thing is that as I've listened to more music, my desire to listen to more music has actually grown. Um, I want to expand. I feel like I'm constantly expanding the types of music that I listen to. You know, you're younger and you're listening to a certain type of music that you really love and you listen to that style of music over and over again. But I just found that my parameters have widened so much over the years, and there's just so much, so much great stuff out there. There's stuff from the past. There's stuff from more current stuff that I'm I'm constantly discovering. Uh, to me, music is one of the great human endeavors. I mean, it's one of the reasons we're on this planet: to create, make stuff. And music is like a really highly developed form of human communication. I always say that pop music is the way is the most immediate art form it's how we talk to each other it's how you know in 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 terms of art you know it takes a movie you know two years to come out after the events that inspired it happened with music you can literally get a song that day about something that you saw on the news that in the morning you know it's it's that immediate and uh, I think if you look at even just something as you know superficial as the pop charts every year you get a window into what people were thinking and what the world liked and and you know you you get a a a sort of a a window into our souls as as a race as a species you know uh and 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 there's so much of it you know um what what a document of human experience I mean I think music is just uh endlessly creative endlessly interesting and if you're curious about the world at all what's not to love about that so you know, I don't think I'll ever lose that passion for, 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 for that. I, 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 that's what, that's what keeps me going. And believe me, it's not a chore to to keep up. It's something like I enjoy, I, I love doing it.
0: That's great. I mean, it's, it, you know, it, I know it, it's definitely a harder thing for most people as they get older to keep, kind of keep up. And um, I gotta be honest, I don't know a lot about a lot of the, you know, artists out nowadays. It's it's also harder to kind of, there's no, <clears throat> I guess, specific tastemaker anymore, because it used to be funneled into radio or into high-end, mag- you know, the, the big magazines. And so you'd hear about stuff in one way, but now it's it's spread out so far that people almost feel, I think to a certain extent, overwhelmed by the uh, amount and, and that there's no... Generally, unless you're listening to something um, like a playlist or something with, you know, a Spotify or Pandora where it's an algorithm where something new might cross your path, you know, it's, it's, um, unless it's being, you know, sent to you, you know, somehow, I think people feel like they're a little bit lost in terms of what's new out there. But um, I know for myself, I enjoy hearing something new that I actually do like. It's just sometimes it feels like I'm cutting through a forest with a a weak, uh, <laughs> a weak blade trying to find it.
1: Well, you know, it's funny what you say because uh, people used to s- say that to me when they would go into a record store, like they'd go into Tower Records back when Tower Records was around or Amoeba or mm. something like that in you know these big stores. They say I walk in there. I just don't, even, you know. I'm just overwhelmed. I, I don't know. I don't even know where to start. Yeah. And I said, well, it, it, to me, it's like moving. You know, like you, you have all these boxes in your in your house, and you go, where do I start? Yeah. Um, well, you just start. You yeah, know, yeah. one one day at a time. You got your whole life to discover stuff. And to me, it's like you know, just wander over to a section and just start. I bought. I used to buy stuff just based on album covers. You know, like I yeah. look at the album cover. And I go, That looks kind of cool. And back yeah. then, it, it wasn't. You know, I mean, you could get stuff for a few bucks. It wasn't it wasn't like you were you you're spending breaking the bank to buy a, a new record. I used to do that once a week, just buy a new record and and try it out and see what it, what was on it. Um, and then of course I read reviews to to you know uh, to, to to get a sense of what was going on. I, I still feel we can do that with with Sound Opinions is that we can present some stuff that we really love, mm-hmm. and there's a ton of stuff adjacent to that that people can find out about. So um there's plenty of ways to discover music to me it's more about oh, enjoy it, yeah. you know enjoy it and um i think for a lot of people it's it's time you know it they feel like it's time consuming which it is fortunately i've been able to make a living out of, <laughs> out of spending my time finding great music and then yeah. hopefully recommending some of it to uh to other people that that have similar tastes so it's um there there are obviously ways to to, to uh, you know Kind of narrow narrow down the, the chase so to speak to yeah. so and find stuff that you love
0: well I, I, I like I said I do love discovering new new things I, I love when something catches me um what I love about the modern era is that I can go back I have a music playlist for driving that spans a hundred years so I'm talking you know 1920s on and there are songs from the 20s 30s 40s whatever you know that I'm just discovering and and hit me as much as anything that I grew up on or I hear now or, you know, what have you. Um, you know, so I think that's one of the beauties of modern day is that you can literally find anything. Um, yeah. You know, whereas before, if you heard the song on the radio once and you couldn't find it in your record store, you were kind of SOL, <laughs> you know, you're just, <laughs> You know yeah some no stuff I, I I haven't hadn't heard for like 40 years and I discovered on on Spotify so it's like you know and in one way that's great I wish they paid musicians more but um, you know that's that's a different topic. well you know speaking of, about new music uh, there the, the music festival season is gearing up. Um, and in Chicago, we have Lollapalooza and Pitchfork, which are two big ones. Lollapalooza is obviously a mammoth thing at this uh, at this point. Uh, Pitchfork seems a little bit more, I guess, um, relatable to maybe to most people because it has uh, a more focus on independent style music uh, with with maybe some mainstream crossover. Lollapalooza has really morphed over the years to be a um it's straight it's in my opinion straight away from the initial you know tour in 1991 with nine inch nails and jane's addiction and Ice tea and you know what have you uh what do you make about of the uh the change with Lollapalooza over the years
1: you know it's been it's been different for quite a number of years people are still it's almost like people are shocked that it's not what it was in 1991 yeah yeah i mean you know it's like it's it's been more than 30 years folks let's uh let's move on it's not going to be that anymore they've um, yeah. you know they're they're looking the people who are buying tickets to these outdoor weekend festivals are young people uh, yeah. you know if you're if you're in your 40s and 50s and you have three kids and you got a mortgage. You're, you're not looking to spend four days out in Grant Park. You can't afford, you know, you, you don't have the time to do that. You don't have the spirit right. to do that, you know, right. uh, and, and I get it. So they're looking at an audience that's in their in their late teens to mid 20s. And that's the that's the primary ticket buying audience for a, a, fe- a big festival like that. Uh, they're going to cater to that audience with the kind of music that they are consuming uh, on their cell phones. You know, uh, right. that's it, it's as simple as that. Uh, I mean, obviously Metallica is a band that sort of transcends eras and generations. um, Yeah. You know, so that they're a headliner and they're a name and they might draw some of the older folks into that venue. They're easily the the veteran group up there. Green Day is a close second. Right. Uh, But then you're looking at artists like Doja Cat and Lil Baby, uh, you know, uh, uh, even a a bluegrass artist like Billy Strings, you know. if you're a country music fan, Billy Strings is kind of a newcomer, you know. And uh, he, he's actually very good, by the way. I'm not I'm not uh, denigrating him in any way. But I mean, these are these are you know, an artist like Lil Baby is is, is gigantic for somebody who's 23, and yeah. somebody who's 53 has never heard of him, you know. And <laughs> fine, you know, it yeah. should be. Uh, that's who the festival's for. So people who are complaining that Lollapalooza isn't wasn't what it was in the alternative era are kind of missing the point. It's not about yeah. that anymore. It's about a different era of listeners, a, a different way of consuming music and the, who the superstars are today are quite a bit different than they were in, in uh, 1991. Uh, yeah. You know, as for Pitchwork, I think um, I've always loved uh, their bookings. I think in general, it's a, a terrific festival to go to more manageable from a standpoint of just being able to get around and see stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think they did a nice job of laying out Union Union Park. They've, they've got that down to a science. Uh, you know, all credit to Mike Reed, great drummer in Chicago, who's um, also a fantastic talent buyer, who's kind of, you know, helped uh, helm that for, for years and years now. Um, I believe he's still involved. Um, but anyway, I mean, you look at, uh, the array of uh, artists it's uh, pretty yeah. much spans if you're looking for alternative you know uh, if you're looking for what Lollapalooza was in the 90s this is this is your best bet so yeah. a festival like this yeah and then
0: for for those just looking for kind of like a throwback I'll, I'll, uh, another good one is uh, Riot fest which you know does have a, a reliance on uh, perhaps older, acts and and they do a lot of specialty things like have out bands play their you know one entire album and things like that i mean we're we're definitely blessed with festivals in this city that's for sure
1: well the reason they do them is people want them you know Mm uh people in chicago i've heard it over and over again they want to be outdoors in the summer you know and (laughs) green festivals have been part of the culture in chicago even long before lalapalooza got here um so it's uh it's a tradition um you know, obviously the impact on the clubs is the thing that uh, i always look at as being the negative side of that yeah. equation um and they they still haven't truly solved that issue uh the clubs have been beaten up pretty badly uh the last two years with covid and having to close yeah. you know many of them having to shut down now they're reopening only to be greeted by an outpouring of festivals you know um but the argument i've heard um otherwise is that a lot of the agents say that once their act plays a festival of the size of a Lollapalooza or even a, a pitchfork, um, they, they, they start to build an audience in that city. Uh, a lot of people have an opportunity to see that small band playing that, uh, that stage at two in the afternoon. Uh, and so that when they do come back and play, you know, um, an empty bottle, um, you know, later in the year, uh, there's an audience there for that show. Uh, based on you know, a lot of people, you know, word of mouth, whatever, seeing, seeing an act at a, at a festival over the summer. I'm not 100% convinced that our, that argument uh, is enough to uh, satisfy a club owner and say, oh yeah, it's a good deal for us. Um, but it's, it's, it's unfortunate. Uh, nonetheless, the club scene in Chicago continues to thrive. I think uh, the thing that I think is most amazing about Chicago and people from around the country, who do who are in, in the uh, music industry tell me this that Chicago is a great concert town. People go out and see shows. It's the middle of winter, it's you know, ten degrees outside, but people are still going out to see music. Um, and I yeah. think we're going to see a huge built up of uh, a repressed, <laughs> repressed yeah. concert going uh, desire um, in the audiences in the next uh, in the next twelve months. It's going to be. If, if COVID finally goes away to, a, to an extent that allows us to do uh, shows um, comfortably indoors and out, um, I think you're gonna see a, a, a big spike in, in, in audience uh, response. And, and I think a lot of clubs are gonna be revived and um, uh, it'll be a good thing for, for uh, music in general in Chicago.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think that's a good point. I, I, I'm really hoping that we're going to be turning that corner uh, or we have turned that corner. I, I you know, there's still worry about what what is on the horizon and if we have to go back to anything. But um, for right now, it seems like we're doing okay, <laughs> which I hope continues. Right. Um, well, I, you know, the other thing I wanted to talk about, um, we, we I mentioned to you uh, in my email, is two prominent music deaths uh, recently, and the first one was. Uh, well, both were a shock to me, but uh, Mark Lanigan, uh, formerly of the Screaming Trees, he's worked with Kings of the Stone Age, he's worked with uh, Isabel Campbell, Greg Dooley, uh, all sorts of people. He's had a thriving, uh, he had a thriving solo career, and he died at uh, 57 fairly recently, which surprised many people. Um, you, you had interactions with him in the past, correct?
1: Yeah, I got to know Mark a little bit. Um, I was a huge fan of Screaming Trees. Um, I was buying their records when they were on SST in the '80s, before anybody knew about them. They were, you know, from Ellensburg, Washington, which was nowhere uh, back then. I mean, it was outside Seattle. It really wasn't part of the Seattle scene. That band was not, you know, considered a grunge band, even though they got lumped into that category once um, Nirvana and Soundgarden broke. Um, but they were definitely. Uh, a force to be reckoned with. Um, I remember the first time seeing them, I just go, these are, these, are, these are some of the largest men I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> yeah. And Lanigan's a towering presence, but the, the, the Connor brothers, there's gigantic dudes, you know, on guitar and bass, and then Barrett Martin on drums. I'm mean, going, oh, wow, yeah. imposing, imposing physically with a sound to match. And Lanigan's voice was one of a kind. That was the thing that was most arresting to me about the band. The band was sort of a psychedelic rock band. Um, these big swirling uh, sheets of sound from the, the, the three instrumentalists. And then Lanigan sort of cutting through all that with this baritone vocal style, um, just kind of, you know, implacable, you know, just kind of not fighting to be heard, but just being heard. Nonetheless, he had incredible gravitas in both his physical presence and the sound of that voice. Um, it was a one of a kind voice. There were very few singers who sounded like Mark. And in addition to that was his incredible taste in music. I mean, the, he was a, a true connoisseur of uh, old folk and blues stuff, um, kind of had an almost a biblical sense of, you know, the, the mayhem that was like in the Old Testament, you know, it's like, you know a lot of that came through in the sound of his voice and also the kinds of things he was singing about in the songs he chose, for example you know, his, his version of uh, In the Pines or, you know, Where Did You Sleep Last Night, the old Lead Belly song, um, you know, I heard that song for the first time when he performed it on his first solo album in 1990. Yeah. And a guy named Kurt Cobain, who no, nobody really knew about, was playing guitar and singing backing vocals on that. Cobain was right. a huge fan. And that's where Cobain found out about the song. And he, in turn, performed it uh, at that Nirvana plug show in, in late 93, just a few months before he died. And that's just, to to me, Cobain's finest moment, but it started with him knowing Martin Lanigan and Lanigan appreciating the song and and singing it um, in 1994, uh, three years before that. Yeah. Yeah, I I know
0: Cobain considered Lanigan almost like a brother. Um, And The weird thing was, excuse me, with, with Lanigan's death, I had just interviewed Barrett Martin scant weeks before and, um, he was telling me how great everybody, you know, was doing. And, uh, honestly, we hardly talked about music. We mostly talked about his, uh, <laughs> his Buddhism beliefs, yeah. uh, which I found far more interesting to talk about than to rehash the same thing that, you know, about, you know, the past. Um, but yeah, I got to see the Screaming Trees perform on, uh, one of the most interesting <laughs> tours ever. It was a Oasis tour where... Liam failed to show up, so Noel just took over, but, huh. and they opened, uh, and they were one of the, you know, one of those opening bands that pretty much rivaled the, the headliners on, mm-hmm. you know, that doesn't happen all that often. You know, most of the time you're like, you yeah, know, I might like that, the opener, but you know, they're never going to, they're never going to be better than who I really came to see. And right, in that, case, that was a, that was a rare example And his solo work over the years. I've just gotten more and more into and uh yeah his i know he had he had a bad bout with covid and he was even in a coma i guess at one point from it so i don't know if that had i, I haven't heard anything new about if that had something to do with his untimely death but you know he was also a, a heavy drinker he was a drug addict in the past um you know a, a lot of times when you put your body through something like that for many years it it doesn't help later in life
1: yeah that's for sure he you know he put his body through the ringer um yeah, yeah and and he did have some near-death experiences i mean his his uh, autobiographies which are both i think there's two of them mm-hmm. uh are excellent uh you know the the stuff in there about his childhood and you know his yeah. issues with drug addiction i mean a lot of that, that stuff does catch up with you um uh, you know, I'm sure he just wore wore his body out, but obviously you don't want to see anybody die that young, you know, 57, um, he, he's still making, he's still very vital as an artist. Um, yeah. And it was a shock. I have to say, I took I took this one hard. I mean, there's been a lot of people dying in the last few years, for sure. Oh, you know, yeah. you know, we loved as artists and, but Lanigan was just a, that was a tough one. Um, I don't know if it was because I knew him a little bit or I love the band so much but it just didn't seem like his time had come and and here here he was gone you know yeah, yeah no, that was, it, that
0: that hit me tougher than i think i even ever could have imagined and obviously the next the next one it just happened was the death of taylor hawkins a drummer in foo fighters who i mean if you looked at him you know he was this uh wiry guy that just pounded the hell out of out of the drums you you know, after you knew that he had his trouble in the past with drugs, but uh, I, I, we don't know for sure exactly what causes his death yet either. Um, But he seemed like a guy that was happy, uh, secure. He had a, you know, he had, had a family. Um, He appeared to be in phenomenal shape. I mean, you know, and he, he, he goes, you know, potentially from heart failure, because that's the, that's the, um, uh, little bit of information we kind of had, you know, from, uh, from the, uh, the government officials in, uh, was it Bogota? Um, yeah, right. Yeah. And, um, but now like, you know, I'd be mean, considering Dave Grohl and his relationship were, you know, was so close. You have to wonder, you know, does that band even, does that band continue in the wake of losing someone so beloved and so essential to the band?
1: That's a great question. I think that's the question everybody's asking you right now. And I, I don't think Dave Grohl even is prepared to answer that right no. now. I think Dave mm-hmm. is going through, I mean, everything I knew about Grohl and, and Hawkins where they were very close um, for, for Hawkins to be the drummer and Dave, and a, a band led by Dave Grohl that's that's a huge job it's got to be yeah. incredibly intimidating and he, he he figured out a way to do it um I mean he was able to overcome his own doubts which he said he had um about that and 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 turn into a dynamic uh drummer and uh, a, a real stage presence I mean really Taylor is probably the best known member of Foo Fighters outside of Dave you know right. um, and a lot of that has to do just with his not only his stage presence, which was pretty, pretty magnetic. I mean, he he would come out from behind that kit and perform like a Queen song in the middle of a show, right? Yeah. Uh, but also offstage, he just seemed to be one of those guys who was just um, everybody who encountered him had good things to say about him. He just seemed to be a genuinely real person. No rock star airs. It was more about just being a, a you know had enthusiasm for life and his job and. Playing drums and Foo Fighters—that was some, um, you know, instantly ingratiating, you know, with no power trip going on. So, yeah, I mean, um, another one that just came out of the blue, like what the hell, you know? Uh, really, really shocking stuff. And you know, I—I I don't know if the the Foo Fighters will continue. I, who's who can tell? Um, it may be it may be just one of those things that the band really can't continue. I, I give total credit to bands who when a key member is gone, that they, you call it a day, it's like, okay, we can't, we're really not that band anymore without this guy. Yeah. And I would have said that about Led Zeppelin, who to their credit never really continued on beyond, you know, when John Bonham died, uh, they did They did have that one reunion show, but that was pretty much it. Um, they didn't go out as Led Zeppelin ever again. Um, the Who unfortunately tried to soldier on without Keith Moon and everybody will tell you in the band that it was a big mistake. Uh, you know, Ronnie Lane was a great guy, but he was not the right guy for that band. And I think they they they, they lost some cred when that happened. Um, yeah. You know, they've obviously recovered a little bit with Zach Starkey kind of being more more in the in Keith Moon mold. But it's it's never been the same for me since Keith died. Um, you know, you could go on and on. I mean, the Stones without Charlie Watts. I mean, come on. You know, yeah, that uh, that's, it's, that's it's one it's that's bummed
0: same. me out. Yeah, it's bum it's kind of bummed me out because I mean Keith was up and down for years saying that once Charlie goes, that's it. And you know, I don't know what I mean, you know, people change. You know, you can can give you know, you give people the credit to be able to change with the Rolling Stones are this mammoth thing, but I, I personally think that if you I honestly for me, Charlie means more to the band, oddly enough, than Mick, which is a very strange thing, I'm sure, for most people to consider. But he was, for me, the the heart of the band um, in in all essence. You know, I mean, you know, Keith and Mick are are both highly essential too, but it just, there was something about Charlie that I think without him, it, it. and Steve Jordan is a fantastic drummer, don't get me wrong, um, you know, probably the only person I could imagine filling that role, you know, is Steve Jordan, but it's just kind of a bummer that they, they did decide to keep going and that they're even considering making new music.
1: Yeah, it, it, um, again, I, I I've lo- I, I loved one of the main reasons I, I would see the Stones, you know, and they're, you know, kind of de- decline late career decline which is going on 30 years now is that charlie watts was on the band and uh it, it was great to see the interplay between him and teeth um and I, I just think him leaving is just such an ins- essential ingredient to what they were uh that it really isn't the stones anymore i really do and even teeth said that himself he said when, when when charlie's gone you know we're done and well it's yeah. clearly not the case you know uh, money talks and I'm not sure these guys know what to do if they're not the stones. That, you know? that could very really well know. be.
0: It It could be like, you know, a, Keith could be like, I stopped alcohol. I stopped drugs. I stopped smoking. I can't stop playing with the stones. And, you know, because if I stop playing with stones, then, you know, except for cockroaches and Keith Richards, you know, Keith Richards will actually not survive everything <laughs> you know. And, that yeah, could, and, I, yeah.
1: and I don't think him, he, he, neither he nor, jagger want to tour as a solo act you know and, and play in some flea uh club versus you know a stadium with the luxury a ac- ac- company you know accommodations and the multi-million dollar paydays you know they just right. they don't want to live that lifestyle anymore so this it's kind of this or bust but to my mind it's like how much money do you really need right and at the same time calling yourself the rolling stones i mean it's kind of a lie at this point you know it's just like the who is not the who Led Zeppelin wouldn't have been Led Zeppelin. Would would R E M? It was R E M really R E M without Bill Berry, who was not only a great drummer, yeah. but a key songwriter and backing vocalist. You know, it's just like you know, it's all uh, all these all these things that you kind of think about. Uh, you you lose a key member and you carry on nonetheless under that brand name, and the brand speaks louder than what is actually happening musically. You know, and it's like that 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 to me is just. Uh, it's not why you started the band, right?
0: Um, well, I think that's a good good place to stop. Uh, I, Greg, I really appreciate you taking uh, the time today. Again, the, the CODA collection is uh, available online uh, as a streaming service. And again, uh, Amazon Prime members can get the CODA collection for $4.99 a month with a free seven-day trial. The uh, CODA, um, sorry, the CODA, where's, where do they have this? I had this sitting. The Coda Companion is the mobile app uh, that launches today, oddly oh, enough. Yeah,
1: that, that that's the second screen experience. So you're basically like when you're watching a film, you're getting this um, additional content, which I which I helped create actually, uh, along with Bob Gendron, uh, that creates sort of like a companion piece to the, the movie. So it contextualizes what you're seeing on the screen. Oh, this is the song they're performing this was last performed in concert and blah, blah, blah. You know, here's the, here's the guitar that, you know, uh, James Hetfield is playing on this particular song. Those kind of little supplemental details that sort of serve as a, a contextual device for the, for the movie you're watching. So I think it's kind of a cool, a cool innovation and hopefully people like it. You know, the, the, the response we've gotten so far on has been really great. So I hope we're gonna to continue to do this for other films as well. Excellent, excellent.
0: Well, I, again, uh, we've been talking with Greg Cott, uh, editorial director for the Coda Collection. Uh, he's also a co-host of Sound Opinions. And um, I, I, I forgot, what was the basketball uh, coach? Uh, it's called Over the Edge. <laughs> Over the Edge. My Other
1: Life, Uh It's in Chicago. So if you play, got a kid plays basketball, come and see us.
0: All right. Well, Greg, thank you very much again. I wish you the best of luck. Say hi to Jim for me. And uh, just take care.
1: Thanks, Brett. Good seeing you again. Good seeing you. Take care. Take care. Bye. Bye.